Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning. Scott Luton and Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's show. Greg, we got a special show here today. You ready to go? I am. This is an exciting topic, first of all, and it's a long time coming, this sort of change in this industry. So I'm not going to give away too much because I don't know what the rest of the script reads, Scott. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, today's show, Thank we're, you. We're, <laughs> we're speaking with a founder and supply chain technology entrepreneur, that's on the move, right? Doing big things, especially in the warehousing, distribution, and fulfillment space. So stay tuned for what should be a great conversation, tackling some really important things, I'd say, here in the, in the e-commerce age. So uh, looking forward to that, Greg. So with no further ado, you already heard from him, at least a word or two. Should we introduce our guest, Greg? Now, let's okay. do it. <laughs> the timing is so critical. It's critical. Here. And, and you know, we're very precise. We are very precise. <laughs> Impeccable. Okay, so let's welcome in today's guest. Uh, today's guest cut his teeth on learning the foundations of systems and operations at Accenture, where he was also introduced to warehousing technology. From there, via a cold stint in Minnesota we may hear about, he found his way to Austin, Texas with Redworks, uh, what some call the driver behind the modern WS software platform. Our guest led that company through growth, acquisition, and successful onboarding by Domatic, and then gained inspiration to start a whole new company, which uh, has really been taken off here in recent months. We're going to learn a lot more about that. So let's bring in Alex Ramirez, co-founder and CEO with Cognit Ops. Alex, good morning. How you doing? Good morning, Scott and Greg. It's uh, it's great to be with you. And well, it is indeed morning where you are, right? <laughs> yes, it is out here in the West Coast. Yeah, I love how time zones work. So luckily, I'm an early riser, gentlemen. So Raring to go. Well, uh, we've really enjoyed, thoroughly enjoyed the pre-show conversation. We, we kind of tackled the gambit from Disney to sports to some of the boots you wear and That's you right. name it. I really enjoyed it. But <laughs> Greg, let's start with just getting to know Alex a little better. So Alex, for starters, where'd you yeah. grow up and give us some anecdotes about your sure. upbringing? Yeah. So I grew up in Miami, Florida, the 305, pretty much born and raised. My, my parents are immigrants from Nicaragua. They, they came to the States in the late 70s during the kind of communist uh, takeover and the Contra war. I've got stories for days around my family being involved in the Contra part of the war, assassination attempts for presidents, meeting Ollie North, HW, meetings in the White House, crazy, crazy stories about my family being involved in, in revolution. And so I feel a little bit like a revolutionary in this space, hopefully not as, you know, violent, of course. Uh, and so Miami <laughs> you is You never know is what's required, was, though, Alex. I that's mean, right. This is that's right. You know, yeah, D DCs are kind of, you know, rugged, rigid environments. It may take a wrecking ball to change them. Uh, no and kidding. so I, I, I grew up, went to uh, an all-boy private Jesuit school, who's I think most famous alum is Fidel Castro. So again, this kind of revolutionary type uh, type theme. And I, one of my favorite stories to tell that kind of will give you a sense of who I am as a, as, as a CEO and leader is all throughout college, I coached Little League Baseball and I would grab the bad, bad news bears. I was a pretty good athlete. I was on travel teams, and, uh, but I, I always loved my right fielders. They were the best players, the best attitudes, you know, no prima donnas. So when I started to coach, I, st I just grabbed a whole bunch of right fielders. I'm like, I'm going to repurpose you and I'm going to coach you up. And for four years, we won the uh, the championship. Uh, it, in fact, in one of those years, I won a radio contest for $10,000. And what did I do? I bought you know the team uniforms and myself a gateway computer. Remember those like cow box computers? Gateway, yes. Yeah, gateway wow. computers, blast from the past. So Right. Uh, those are the two things. I wanted to be a nerd and I wanted to be uh, a coach. And so I, I just loved coaching all the way uh, back when uh, when I was in college. So yeah, son of, of immigrants, went to the U, was a math major, wasn't a very good one. And hopefully, you know, made a, made a good choice here going into uh, Accenture. And we'll see where this vector takes me in my career. All right. So there's there's so much you've shared that we yeah. could yeah. hours upon hours of podcasting around. Let's go back. So your parents, immigrants from Nicaragua, did, did they 
was that's entrepreneurialism, right. uh, was that um, when they heard that's kind of what you want to do, how, how did they respond? Did they get that and, and really get behind it? They loved it. I, so um, from one side of my family, we've got entrepreneurs and there's a, a business in Naples, Florida, a nursery, plant nursery that's very successful. On the other side, it's been more of an inspiration to actually start CognitOps from the experience my dad has, who's my superhero, you know, middle class providing for his family, coming from, you know, poor background. And he had so many ideas, fantastic ideas but never really launched them because he didn't want to really threaten this middle-class livelihood that he was providing mm. for, for all of us. And so I think back to that, you know, every day of, of him coming with ideas or a little frustrated that he wasn't taking that leap. And that was the main driver for me to take the leap and be so terrified about putting it all on black. But certainly, yes, the entrepreneurship is in the DNA, but so is fear of not doing things. And so those two conflicting forces I had to reconcile when, uh, when I started the business. All right. So wow. one more question that I'm going to pass baton to Greg, and we're going to talk about your professional journey. So being a, a devout addict to coaching, right? Uh, I love yes. that give back, right? There's so many kids that benefit yep. from, from going through uh, baseball leagues and whatnot. Are you also, from a business standpoint, are you a big believer in coaching people up as well? Is there, is there a lot of, do you see a lot of parallels there? Oh, absolutely. So we've got uh, one-on-ones with all of our leadership teams uh, and leaders to talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, I, I suffer from the imposter syndrome. And so I have that empathy of a lot of the pains that I have, I know other leaders are having as well. And so breaking that ice to say, gosh, you, when, when someone asks you, how can I help? It's often hard to say, well, these are the things I need help on. Instead, I kind of broach it with, I suffer these things, right? I've had moments of, of, you know, being at the trough of despair or feeling like an imposter or not feeling adequate at a certain job. Tell me about an experience where, you know, you've felt that. And so that kind of opens people up to being coached because if you just, you know, get right at them and say, Hey, I'm going to coach you kind of tough, right? They're not, they're not going to be willing, you know, co-parties in the, uh, in the coaching. Greg, man, that, that is some seriously deep thinking about leadership. I mean, I, I guess I, I guess we should expect that, Scott. I mean, when you think about being on both sides of of leadership and turmoil, and having seen your parents, especially having seen dictatorship, having gone to school with or where a dictator went to school, <laughs> all That's those right. sorts of things, and and yet you you've turned out to be kind of a giving and open leader. It sounds like to me. I mean, to be that open to share your you know, to share your concerns of yourself with other leaders has got to be really, really comfort- comforting for your team. So yeah, I hope so. That's powerful stuff. It's funny. Uh, it's funny how many people there are. People think of Cuba as as a lot of residents, having a lot of residents in Miami, but the family that owns Watsco, which is a big, uh, a big air, uh, heating and air conditioning distributor in the Grove, they're in the Grove. They're yep. Nicaraguan immigrants as well. So yep. originally, originally from Syria, had to leave Syria because of religion. Went to yes. Nicaragua and then emigrated to the states. So it, a lot of those stories, and I, I can really yes. empathize with families coming from Latin America to the states. So that's very yes. cool. Sorry, I, I wanted to interject something quickly. Like, what, what, so one of our core values is is grit, and it was one that I voted for. And I think it's something that immigrants, especially those that come from, you know, war torn countries like Cuba and and Nicaragua, like that was I was destined to be grit. And for me, that's code word for just being stubborn, guys. Like I'm just really stubborn, you know. Like failure is not an option, uh, type uh, type sentiment. And so I I, I see those types of stories and it's inspiring to to understand like if you've got a tight grip you can do a lot of really magical things well you're in the right part of the country for grinding it out with grit nothing nothing is appreciated more in texas than true grit <laughs> right so um, that's right you know, I, indeed i was indeed. born in the midwest too and I, I i really get that i mean people are used to just kind of grinding it out so it, it's a really interesting culture and it, fits really well, I think, with where you've come from. It does. So you actually had jobs before CognitOps, right? Accenture. I did. And more. So tell us a little bit about what you took from those roles. Any kind of professional learnings from your roles or any eureka moments 
in your business maturation yes. or anything like that? Yeah, I, I want to go back to Scott's opening around the frigid time in, in, uh, in Minneapolis. So another just round of stories, maybe over uh, a beer or five is my, my time in Minneapolis. And my first walk in January outside of the Skyway, I, I look outside the hotel and it's a beautiful day. And of course, I'm an ignorant South Floridian kid that's never seen snow before. And, you know, I've, I used my signing bonus to Anderson, now Accenture, on a leather jacket from Wilson's Leather. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I'm great. I'm the bees and easier. here. That's enough. Yeah. Right? So I, uh, <laughs> I come out of the Hilton. I turn right on Nicollet Mall to walk down to my building. And I, I feel a pain like I have never felt before in my life. And so, of course, you know, my not smart person decides to start running makes it worse. And so I wind shoot chill. into the US. Yeah, wind chill. And so I shoot into the USB <laughs> bank building and there's the thermometer that says uh, 20 below. And I'm like, I was a math major, not a chemistry major. Is that physically impossible? Like, can that happen? So anyway, so one of the earliest lessons I've, I've ever learned in my career that I have certainly adopted because I lived in Minneapolis for a good seven years is wear a coat and be prepared. Don't be an idiot. So anyway, that was the, the, the first one. I think the... Um, Gosh, that, you know, that is... <laughs> The be prepared thing is, it's so appropriate. And you learn it in the hardest way in Minneapolis. Yes. One of my first gigs, I'll keep this short, but one of my first gigs was when I first got into technology was my assignment was to go to the IBM center, one of the IBM centers in, in Minneapolis and do some training on the technology that we were working on. My yes. feet, got, I just wore regular shoes, dress shoes. My feet got so cold walking into the building <laughs> that my shoes almost fell off because my feet contracted. It was that cold. Yes. And I, I mean, I, I'm clown not, shoes. Yeah. It's not, it was not as foreign to me as it even was to you, but boy, did I learn yes. from that. And yes, cold indeed. will teach you preparation like nothing else. Will. Yes. Yes. Yeah. My, my experience at, at, at Accenture, you know, beyond the, the frigidness uh, was, I think a, a blessing for me because it, it also taught me the power of impact in an organization. This is the year 2000 and, you know, the economy's crashing, e-commerce, you know, is, is crashing. And here I am building a warehouse management system for walmart.com, their Carrollton, Georgia facility for, off a platform called Retech. And that was their office in Minneapolis. Oh, yeah. And it was all Oracle forms and a little bit of Java and Unix shell scripting. And I, I couldn't spell job if he gave me every letter, but the A and yet there I am billing at 180 an hour expected to deliver all these mods and specifications. And so, and so the, the, like getting to learn something quickly and being afraid that there is somebody behind you, that if you don't take right, that opportunity to deliver impact, guess what? you know, you're expendable. And I saw so many yeah. of my colleagues and teammates being walked out in their, in, in our kind of pod that it instilled a healthy sense of fear and that professional fear of, you know what, there's always somebody willing to work harder than you. So work hard started at Accenture and, and I, and I thank them for it. It was a terrifying moment in my career, you know, 21 year old in the cold, learning something that, you know, he's never learned before trying to deliver, you know, features to this monolith of a business with pressure. Talk about a cauldron, right? And, and a rite wow. of passage. I've heard, I mean, I've never, I've never had the guts, frankly, to do the consulting thing and you have to be a pretty, pretty special talent. I, I didn't go to the right school and I didn't get good enough grades at the wrong school. So <laughs> I, I, I had zero chance of ever being an, an Accenture consultant, but I, I've met them before and they are, you know, they are a special breed. A lot of those of you who have been able to be consultants to work at that level are really yes. special talents. It's amazing to hear that story of those people because, you know, you sort of think of them as the cream of the crop. I mean, especially in those days, they certainly were. So that's yeah. a brutal environment. So from Accenture, tell, tell us where you went from, yeah. from that point. Yeah. So from Accenture, I, I went to High Jump Software, which is now part of Kerber Supply Chain at the time, smaller company, hadn't been acquired by 3M and then divested by right. 3M yet, pretty doing some interesting things. One of my first projects was to help build a warehouse management system for Circuit City, 
a blast from that past. Hey. Uh, and so, yeah, I've got, you know, I've got the Midas touch. So, and so we, <laughs> You're, you know, we built. So High Jump was, wasn't High Jump, were they based in Minneapolis? They were based in Minneapolis. So I, I decided Where Best Buy is. Where Best Buy is, yes. But you got so the, I just, you, but you got the Circuit City <laughs> project. You know, you, <laughs> right. you, you, you deal with the cards you're dealt, you know? So, um, and so I, uh, I actually, so I was traveling at Accenture from Miami to Minneapolis. There were days where I would go from 30 below to hundred degrees in Miami. And so crazy, uh, crazy commutes there, but went over to, to high jump and loved the, the team there. Chris Heim was the CEO and, uh, an inspirational leader. And we were just doing some really, really good warehouse management systems for mm-hmm. you know strong brands. Some survived, some didn't, of course. But at the, at that time, you know, two years into building WMSs, it just made sense to me. I, I when when I was in college, I wanted to be an actuary. I was never smart enough. I went to the Harvard of Coral Gables, right? I don't know if that you know you know that's what yeah, they call the University of Miami, right? So, well, uh, but hang on, a second, yes. Alex. I can't say that I've ever met anyone that had the dream of becoming an actuary going to yes. college that, that's, that's how I love how fluting stuff yeah no I uh I, I love math and my backup plan Scott to come out of college in the event that you know I was I was a complete loser and couldn't find anything was to be a math teacher I saw so many uh people hate math growing up because of bad teachers that I'm like I've, I've got to fix that like you know just math is awesome and and I can I can teach it same way I could coach little league, but of course capitalism struck and you know here I am, and so at, at high jump just building warehouse management systems it made sense you know stuff comes into the warehouse something happens to it out it goes and so that that just kind of set me on on my career right two years in working at high jump for a good seven years in a multitude of different roles. Another kind of experience that I've had that allows me to go back to the kind of that leadership coaching is faking it till you make it. You know, it's it's arguable whether it's a good philosophy, a bad philosophy, you should be prepared. I think there's much to be said about those individuals that are willing to raise their hand and say, I know I'm ill-prepared, but there's no one else volunteering for this really tough job. And it's got to get done. Right. And, and that's been that, that that was high jump for me. Right. Signing up for projects or, or doing things that I wasn't prepared to do. But gosh, darn it, I was going to be gritty enough to figure it out. Right. Um, and so I love that about my experience at high jump. Sometimes being a leader is just being willing to step up and lead, not even able. Yes. That's right. right. Not even able. I mean, yes. It's, ju- it's just being willing. Right. Uh, yes. So that I mean, I think that's a powerful lesson for people is. If you wait until you're ready to lead, yeah. it's going to be too late. You may never be ready. Yeah. You've got to, right. you've got to just do it, you know? And if, yes. if you know, if that, what is it? It's the Peter principle, right? You're elevated to, you're elevated to yes. your level of incompetence. And that's how you gain that's confidence right. is you have to, as I have said often, yeah. baby Test birds it. don't Test fly it. because they grow wings. They fly because mom pushes them out of the nest. <laughs> That's right? right. And and ascending yes. to leadership or any additional level of knowledge is almost exactly like that. You've just got to go for it. And yep. sometimes you win and sometimes you fall to the ground and a nice guy comes out and puts you back in the nest. That's right. Uh, hopefully. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah. So tell us a little bit about, uh, so you, I didn't realize you had been in WMS kind of your whole career. So things, one, tell us how, how you got from the U into WMS. I mean, obviously, was it just coincidence at Accenture that you wound up on a WMS project? Yeah, a- absolute coincidence. Divine Providence, yeah. uh, the the partner in the Miami office, volunteered me to go do this project in Minneapolis. And and Retech at the time was more of a point of sale and merchandising system. Yeah. And they had this offshoot product for warehouse management that Walmart just happened to buy, and they needed an additional engineer. And there I was. I you know I'm just kind of standing in line, and they're like you you're going to go, you know, code this thing. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, just pure, pure divine problem. Wow. That's incredible. So I, I have to ask you this, sorry, this is a little bit off track, but I have to ask you this. Go for it. So many people say to be successful, you have to do what you love or love what you do. I sense that because you were sort of thrust into WMS. You didn't select it because you loved it. Did you learn to love it? Do you, I mean, yes. 
Yeah, it's um, I I love that discussion, right? Of do what you love versus you know love what you do. I'm more of of the latter in that I know I've grown into my skin. I still am growing into my skin as a CEO and as as a leader, right? Our our, I think our jobs number one are always to to learn and mature to be better. But what I found in Accenture was the ability to work around really smart people, right? At high jump, I found again, another opportunity to work with really smart people. That's what I think I've been able to, to really love is whatever it is that I do, if I'm working with people that will inspire me, I will grow to love whatever I'm being inspired about. Yeah. And so Accenture with warehouse management, High Jump with warehouse management, Redworks with warehouse execution, I've been fortunate to work with exceptional people that, you know, could I have been in advertising and gone to fancy headquarters versus, you know, Rialto, California, where there's a warehouse. Sure. Would I have loved it? Probably if I would have been around those really brilliant people. And so I think that there's, there's kind of a Venn diagram of those two arguments where, you know, if you find someone that inspires you, then take the inspiration, right? You, you will, it's a reason why you're there. There is a reason why you're being inspired. So go explore it. Right. And for me, it's just pure luck. Right. And then being around really smart people have led me to love this, uh, this industry. Learn to love what you do. There is a lot of power in that. I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to do what you love. By the way, it can be a little bit dangerous to do what you love. I have a friend who was a professional golfer, a teaching pro. And yes, the lesson he taught me was never make your vacation, your vocation, because whenever he was, yes. When, right? That's, that's when right. the weather was beautiful out, as he used to yes. say, I'm yeah. quoting him here. When the weather was beautiful out, you guys are out playing golf. I'm teaching yes. fat, bald guys how to hit a golf ball, right? Yes. Yeah, no, right on. I think that, like a, a good example is I love, I'm a watch nerd. And so I will spend whatever time I have, you know, looking at Hodinkee and other websites on watches and researching them. Hmm. I would be a bad horologist. I love looking at them, but I, I don't have the the patience to understand all the movements and every. But I love the yeah. science and the engineering behind it. Right? I, I would be I would be bankrupt if I tried to go sell watches or you know be a watch retailer. Right? And so, mm-hmm. I think um, learn to love what you do because you surround yourself with brilliant people. I think has been has been luckily my approach, and it's worked because I would be miserable at you know, doing what you love because I love watches and I'm bad at them. Well, also, also it takes the fun out of something that is somewhat of an escape from the day to day as well. It right? does. So, yep. Yep. all right. So let's take the leap. Obviously, maybe we should call it jump. Let's take the jump. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about Cognidops because I think you're, yes. you work sort of, as you said, divine in- intervention, you were sort of externally presented with this opportunity. I think you've turned it into something that is changing the way that warehouse management yeah. works. So tell us a little bit about Cognidops and, and what you do. Tell us a little bit how that's, that is evolving or, yeah. or innovating or disrupting sure. uh, warehouse management. Yeah. So the, the origin of Cognidops dates back to when, when I was introduced to Redworks back in 2009, warehouse execution uh, software company at the time, it didn't really know what what it was. It was more pick polite than warehouse execution. But the company oh, evolved, okay. and as you know, Scott mentioned, was CEO. We successfully exited the business to Domatic, and then started to incorporate the business into Domatic. So I've seen warehouse management, I've seen warehouse execution, I've seen automation, implemented some really fancy systems, um, and that all of that experience led to the origin of, of Cognitop. So the beginning of 2018, after you know two years of being a Domatic and wonderful company that was doing great things with, with Redworks, yeah, I'm, I'm not a big company guy. And so you know, it, was, it was time for me to, to go. A good leader knows when he starts to smell like fish and I started to smell a little bit. And so, uh, so I left and didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was going to, you know, contemplate the navel and take a sabbatical. And it was about a Saturday and Sunday before I, I started getting real bored with myself. And there was a, an accelerator here in Austin, Texas, that was having a pitch competition. I just wanted to sit in and see what, you know, 
pitches look like in the in the uh, VC space. And Greg, you'd appreciate this. I mean, these founders were flailing. It was pretty sad, and you know, investors were just being just mean and brutal to these poor kids. You know, Silicon Valley, you know, nerds that wanted to come in and disrupt some space, right, and didn't really have the the calluses on their hands and the the gnashed teeth to really empathize with the space that they're trying to disrupt. And fortuitously, uh, my co-founder, Reese Mackin, was at the same event. And we kind of like look across the room and we're like, why don't, why don't we try this? Like our parents tell us we're really smart, right? The, the warehouse still has so much blue ocean, right? To conquer. Yeah. Let's go, let's go explore this thing. And so that's what we did. I think that was on a Friday, the, the following Monday, I, I buy a, a whiteboard from Office Depot plop it up against a wall in my kid's playroom. And we start just playing a real fancy game of Pictionary. We're like, why do warehouses stink? You know, and so it's like taking a first principle approach to trying to try to distill down the answer. And what, what it what it led to was a pain that we felt often in our QBRs and post-peak assessments with our customers, which was great. You gave me an awesome tool. Mm-hmm. I st- I'm still experiencing the same angst. Why is that? And so that that kind of led to this conversation of cognitive ops. That's fantastic. Uh, all that's a great story and a common one, by the way, for these pitch competitions. There, they it seems to me that they go one of two directions. They are nothing but affirmations and pats on the head with no result. Or yes, they are a they are a brutal deconstruction of your entire personhood, right? <laughs> leaving you a, leaving you a liquid mess on the floor. <laughs> Uh, oh, indeed, indeed. So, I've, 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 I've never seen more sweat from a non-gym environment than than <laughs> that than that pitch competition is. It's pretty, uh, pretty awkward. So, but I, I think the you know coming from that, we because we experience firsthand this pain. I, I often introduce myself as an arsonist putting out my own fire. Right? There's all the WMS. Mike all the, the would w- really appreciate that. Yeah, and so like. I know what this feels like. I've been in warehouses. I'm actually here in California visiting clients, right? Helping them use the product to drive resiliency and and just better operations. And being in the front lines with these leaders struggling to use their modern tools that I trust we'll get into, you know, you you get to you get to really empathize with with the pain. And and we we talk about empathy a lot in Cognit Ops because we never want to be, there can never be daylight between what we build, what we dream of and, and customer value. Right. And it's hard to not, you know, to do that if you don't really like love the pain that the customer is feeling and, and yeah. experience it yourself. Right. And so I'm, I'm always, I always admire those founders. I can go into a space, not knowing a darn thing about it, create a new product and go create, you know, a, a new market. I'm not that type of, of entrepreneur, right? I, I know this pain, so let me go solve it. So what is the biggest pain that you guys are solving right now? I'm curious because there are so many pains in a, in a warehouse, a yes. distribution, or an e-commerce, particularly with e-commerce taking the four, there are a lot of pains in, in warehouses these days. So what is it that you guys are doing that, that, you know, that answers the question yep. that you were talking about? Okay, you gave us this great system, we still have yes. all these pains. What do you, what can you do for us? So yeah, so tell us a little bit about the, that. Yeah, the, so there there's multitude of of pain points that warehouses suffer, and it's why you know there's multi billion dollar markets across robot software, et cetera. But the the easiest one to really understand is if you look at you know pick any Fortune 500 company, go to their career site, look up in you know, some derivative form of operations management or warehouse management or warehouse manager, you're going to find the most incongruous requirements back to back, right? One's going to say something like, you know, quantitative and qualitative assessment of real-time performance of the warehouse. And you're reading that and you're like, that sounds like linear algebra. Uh, And then right after that, it's going to say proficiency with Microsoft Excel. And so no one's really understood that those two are literally impossible to, to perform at the same time. They're, they're not even parallel <laughs> universes, right? right? And so yet the group think in operating a warehouse across industries, vertical markets, planets um, has been, I need a human being to perform this impossible mission to create balance and flow. And so 
that was kind of the, the, the proxy where Reese and I said, I think we have something here. If we can automate a lot of those kind of decisions that these leaders make. And an easy one to understand is if I have many systems in my warehouse or even one, we've got clients that only have one WMS, where do I position my people? Not labor management. Labor management is important. It's a scoreboard. You understand rates and kind of like, hey, somebody's working at 80%, great. But if it's the Tuesday after the Atlanta Falcons win the Super Bowl, Scott, Whenever that happens, right? And oh, oh, everybody's seventy-seven. Twenty seventy-seven. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if it's the Tuesday after the Super Bowl, and everybody in the Atlanta warehouse is coming in because they drank a little bit too much Budweiser, and they're at eighty percent efficiency, great. Labor management system is going to tell you that you're at eighty percent. What do you do about it? Right. And so that question yeah. of with the people I have and the performance that they're actually executing. How do I best position my people across all the areas to be as successful as possible? That's the easiest pain point that CognitOps solves. And the biggest challenge that a lot of these operators have when they try to use Excel to perform that linear algebra, right? Or vis- or visibility, right? I think yes. what, you're, what you're speaking to is how often visibility, how often analytics, reporting, whatever it is, how often it just presents the data and then yes. leaves the human to their own devices. When the data exists and logic can be, or knowledge can be applied to actually give them the answer or at least a range of recommendations. And I think that's the critical gap, right? And, yes. and it absolutely should have been done, you know, decades ago, frankly. Decades ago, decades but ago. now right? I, it's I, I, absolutely demanded by people coming into the workplace these days. Technology should do technology things. If the data (laughs) exists to solve the problem, solve the problem. And if it doesn't, then you allow people whose gift is to take insufficient data in a rapid environment and make a sound decision, then you present it to them that way, right? Yes. Yes. I, the, the vision that we have, so our vision statement is to unleash ingenuity to give rise to resilient businesses. And that unleashing ingenuity is something that these operators just don't have in the warehouse, right? So if uh, we believe in AI for, for good and <laughs> the, the operations manager, like th- there was a survey, I think by Gallup a couple of years ago, or maybe last year that said only 22% of warehouse employees are, are feel engaged. And so a simple life hack that we're giving to these leaders is by allowing us to make those recommendations, do those decisions, it frees up the headspace, the oxygen in the room and their time to go do what coaches should be doing, right? Going back to my story about Little League, like I, I think I was a good coach because I engaged one-on-one with every single one of my players. And when you can't do that as a leader because you're too busy fighting fires, playing the whack-a-mole game, running pivot tables in Excel, guess what? Your team members aren't engaged, right? And so that's our vision is let's go unleash ingenuity by giving people the oxygen to go just have that human touch, right? And let us do the minutia of linear algebra in the cloud uh, because the data is there, to your point. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So – we have foreshadowed a variety of trends, right? That's the backdrop for what's given yeah. rise to Cognitive Ops. And so I want to recap th- these three things. And let's, whichever one that maybe the two of y'all even would want to kind of elaborate more on, let, let's do that. Let's do it that way. So what's interesting, if y'all think back, we're all children of the 80s, right? We all can remember those blue commercials where one of the last phrases that was uttered in these infomercials was, allow six to eight weeks for delivery, right? How? <laughs> Holy mackerel. That seems like a hundred years it ago. Does, doesn't doesn't it? it does. So there, it is does. A, there is naturally enormous pressure on distribution centers, fulfillment houses, you name it. Right. So there, there's three things that in our pre-show conversation, we kind of talked about that you and Greg just kind of touched on one, of yep. course, the landscape around distribution centers and, and the pressure there, right. Fulfillment, you name it, warehousing, uh, micro warehousing, so many different fun things to talk about. Number yes. two, you both mentioned resili- resiliency, but as we all know, it can't be just part of your talking points. We've got to have uh, global supply chain has to have real resiliency, right? Yeah. For all the curveballs. 
And then third that y'all both spoke about is these tools that organizations and let's face it, practitioners and certain leaders are clinging to, right? Clinging to yes. like uh, there's that scene in, in um, what's the second Star Wars movie? The Empire Strikes Back. Skywalker is clinging to that thing before he drops down <laughs> into from Sky City, right? That is a perfect <laughs> illustration. Yes. How organizations are clinging to what, what worked really well, say 20, even 25, 30 years ago. And they're still making that work somehow now at the cost of op truly optimizing the operation. So those are three different things that, that, that you and Greg were just speaking to. What else deserves a deeper dive out of those three? Yeah. So I think the three are a good summary. There's one though, that I think we have seen that Greg alluded to, which is visibility. Right now there is you see a, a growth of visibility tools. Um, you know, there's Project 44 and Forkites and many others that are providing really awesome functionality uh, across the supply chain. It's hard often to have people understand the value of visibility, right? And th these businesses are growing because people are starved for it. But I think oftentimes I go into opportunities, Scott, and we talk about just raw visibility into the warehouse and people will say, well, I have analytics, I have charts and I have graphs and, you know, I have Tableau and Power BI and a whole bunch of industrial right. engineers. And so one of the challenges that we face in the, in the industry is having people understand the power of visibility, especially in the kind of microcosmic representation of the supply chain known as the warehouse. Right. And so that's something that we see a, a growing trend or it's starting to erode this kind of stubbornness behind accepting the value of visibility in, in the warehouse and would, would love, you know, Greg, your thoughts on, you know, how visibility as just kind of a construct has evolved in supply chain for people to just say, look, I need it. I don't need to justify it through the same lens of 80s, 90s, 2000 purchases, which is how many people are you going to reduce? Well, that's a broken model, right? Like there is a value in visibility. And so we're starting to see some acceleration in just people understanding that through visibility comes comprehension and through comprehension comes resiliency. Yeah, I think, and I love Alex's style, Scott. You give him three choices and like me, he picks a fourth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, B, C, or D. Right? Uh, so yeah. uh, I think we're, I think we're, uh, we were separated at birth. Um, but uh, I, I think all of this goes to those points that you made, micro-fulfillment and e-commerce fulfillment. The transition in the distribution center is so critical. And I think analytics is, I, I can say it because I don't, I, I can take a neutral position. I think analytics is the new age BI or the, uh, or sorry, uh, sorry, visibility is the new age yeah. analytics, which was the new age BI, which was the new age reporting. I think that the yes. gap that that continues to leave in terms of helping people make the decision, not just presenting them with the facts, but helping yes. them utilize those facts and make that decision. I think that bridge is critical because the transition in distribution, the transition in e-commerce fulfillment, the transition in micro-fulfillment, and the multiple ways you can fulfill goods is so disruptive. At, at the same time that it's advancing the industry, it is disrupting the status quo so dramatically that you have yeah. to have some assistance in moving forward and making those decisions. And I, I will continue to go back to this. If the technology can at least recommend what the decision ought to be based on what it knows, it ought to Bingo. do that every yeah. single time. And so I didn't want to sandbag you a little bit there, Scott, but it, it, segueing back to your three points, I think with visibility is kind of like this <clears throat> blanket over those three, those three vectors. Now, if I have, if I'm a supply chain leader and I, I have something that's giving me visibility recommendations, now I can make confident decisions to say, if I do micro fulfillment, I'm going to anchor some steel to the ground, right? Or I'm going to have autonomous mobile robots. I'm going to have something that's capital intensive. I'm going to yeah. put, you know, my hand on the wall and I'm making this decision knowing that it's predicated on assumptions with sensitivity. The market is changing so fast, but I have to make a decision. And so when you do and you create a box, but all of a sudden your customers are requiring a triangle, you're not going to blow the building up, right? And so that, that going back to that wrecking ball analogy early about, you know, my, my life as, as an immigrant and revolutionary, 
the wrecking ball isn't to destroy the warehouse. It's to just change how you use it. And if you've got equipment and you're lacking labor and you need speed, well, then you need a brain that can take all this data to say, this is the best way to morph, right? You're building according to the, the changing the changing market. But it starts with, I have a problem because I can see it. Mm-hmm. And I have recommendations because I chose the right partner through, you know, the, uh, th- these types of systems. Right. Love it. All right. So, so much there, uh, so much goodness already, but Greg, we're going to kind of shift gears a, a minute and talk about some really good news. Right. And it kind of, kind of up your alley, right. You're the, uh, you're the, um, what should I say? The fundraising maven, uh, you know, you've done a lot of that. <laughs> And you're, hey, just just coined that nickname. You've done a lot of that, I like that. in yeah. your in your in yes. your journey. So, some of Alex and the team's recent experiences are gonna are right up your alley, right? Yeah. So you just raised. I'm looking right here. I mean, just just in the last couple of weeks, you you raised 11 million dollars in your A round, right? Your first sort of venture round of of investment. So, uh, tell us a little bit about that. How. I'd love it if you could relay just real briefly how that changes your life, you know, and how that changes your, your work day world. Sure. Sure. Well, it just amplifies the level of terror that that I feel every day, Greg, and and not blowing it. Right. So that's all. That's, that's, yeah, that's the only thing that changed for me. I'm still a poor founder. And so, yes, so we just raised first market capital, led the round. Uh, Beth Ferreira uh, is a general partner that's going to be sitting on our board and former CEO at Etsy and fab.com. And I think she's going to bring just a, a tremendous amount of perspective to the board that, that we need. And then Peter Chrisman from Chicago Ventures is going to be the the other board member, and, and Peter has been just so creative and uh, and great to uh, to the board. What 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 led us to the the Series A is 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 really kind of a tailwind of the pandemic, and I, I hate to say that because you know it's been uh, disastrous for families and for first responders and just the economy in general. But it's shown that supply chains are important, right? Everybody wants right. your toilet paper, and you don't want people fighting in the aisles for paper towel. And so, the, the the word resiliency all of a sudden has has popped up, and people are like, "Gosh, how do I adapt my building to whatever the new normal is?" And God forbid another blip, right, in the uh, in the universe with uh, another pandemic. And so, I think a solution like ours, where we can come in and in a very low drag, lightweight implementation can start to provide that is starting to get steam and supply chain is hot. We all know that, right? Supply chain tech and investment is is hot. So that, so I I wish I can tell you it was all my, you know, my charm, my wit, my personality that got us the $11 million. No, there are a lot of market forces. That that got you at least two, right, Alex? I got you at at least two. Two two dollars. Two two of it. zero zero dollars. Yes, absolutely, (laughs) Scott. I'll take it. That's gas money back in college days. That'll get me, you know, to the Burger King. And so, the the all those macros aside, um, I think what what got us to this point is being staunch and gritty in our vision of creating a a, a brain for the warehouse. Having doubts, many doubts, and you know, suffering through troughs of despair as an entrepreneur. When you start it, you struggle to gain a little bit of steam. You've only got one customer. The product doesn't work sometimes. You know, there's just so many moments of of angst, um, and I wish I can tell you that I lost my hair because of cognitive ops, but that happened a long time ago. But I lost more of it because of it. Uh, and so, I think being, you did the right thing, by the way. You look very cool with a shaved. Thank head. you. I think more yeah, yeah, people should you. go that direction. And that's Greg White. We're talking fashion here. Yeah, that's Greg White. No, I know you've got that, that luscious. So. Yeah. Yeah, you've got that you luscious get, head of hair, Greg. <laughs> if you're called cool by Greg White, that's like getting a championship belt. And, and oh yeah, 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 t- t- touched by Elvis for sure. <laughs> uh, and so we, you know, so I, we, we, we surrounded ourselves with um, leaders and technologists that are just better than us, better humans, better professionals, better technologists. And we got out of their way to allow them to go execute on the vision of the business. And um, thankfully, we've been able to just go in the past eight months, gosh, go from literally one client, one warehouse to, you know, 10 clients and many more warehouses. And so it, it, we're, we're starting to get to that magical kind of inflection point, mm-hmm. Greg, where 
Now what I'm concerned about is the turbulence in the business managing growth versus starving to death, right? I think we've yeah. crossed that chasm. Uh, and certainly how the $11 million is changing that is we just got to grow faster. We got to build more on this fantastic data set we're creating and create more value for, for our customers, for our team members, and certainly for our shareholders. And so it just means you got to go bigger, you got to go faster, but you have to operate prudently, right? Capital efficiently and make sure that you don't, you know, end up as another tombstone because somebody decided to you know, do something stupid, right? I don't know you that well, Alex, but I know enough to know that seems unlikely. I mean, no, from your lips to God's ears. <laughs> barring, I mean, barring ex, you know, extreme market forces, which could always happen, right? That's that always, always a risk in any business. I think what you're doing bridges a significant gap in in the marketplace, and clearly, your investors are highly sophisticated. And I think it's important for people sure. to understand this money doesn't just fall out of the sky. There is a ton of it out there. But it is a rigorous, rigorous process. And to make your investment, to make the investment in Cognitop, these investors listened to 100 pitches and picked yours. So yes. there is there is um, a very uh, strong and real sense of affirmation that that founders should feel when they get this level of investment because you've established a business model, you've established your go-to-market strategy, you have a philosophy, you are selling. And what you're struggling now to do, I presume, is is to deliver effectively. That's yes. really what you need the money for. That's when you get funding, is when Bingo. you have established yourself and you need you need to ramp up rapidly to be able to deliver in the marketplace. So kudos to you, first of all. Thank you. For getting here from there. Yes. And I think, the, I, I mean, I think there's a lesson for anyone who's a founder in this, and that is investors invest in milestones. They don't invest in runway, right? That's right. $11 million will get us the next, you know, it'll get us the next 18 months. I, I, I'm sure the, the discussion is more. $11 million gets us to this point of being able to fulfill demand, to this point of being able to create more demand. To this Absolutely. point of being able to expand the product and the team to improve both our technology and our ability to execute. So that's really what people invest in. I can see why they invested in you. So um, yeah, congratulations and great Thank lesson you. for our for our community. Yeah, I love it. Appreciate it. Love that, Greg. A lot, a lot of good stuff there. And you've got your both. Of y'all have your finger on the pulse, and and I love learning from these conversations just like this here. So. And Alex, you are doing a bunch of hiring. I, I picked y'all's website earlier. So, folks, if you if if the type of organization solving types of problems that and and has the kind of type of culture Alex described here, be sure to check check them out and uh, maybe land with them and grow with them. So, a lot of good stuff. That'd so, Alex, on that note, we we have really run the gambit here today, and and we're just scraping the tip of the iceberg. You, you bring a lot of passion and personality to the table on top of your expertise, and that's what makes really fun conversations here at Supply Chain Now. But how can other folks benefit and sit down and compare notes with you as well? What, what would you push people to? The website is certainly a, a good resource and you can contact us through the website. There's a form there, I think, and contact us now. Certainly feel free to email me directly, alex at cognitops.com. I, I love to commiserate with ops managers, talk about the pains they feel in their warehouses or with supply chain leaders on, you know, what they're thinking about or supply chains of the future. And we could play, you know, uh, Wizard of Oz in, in those types of conversations. So you can go alex at cognitops.com or info yeah. at cognitops.com or just visit us on our website, www.cognitops.com. Speaking of the Wizard of Oz, we've got the Wizard of Wichita right here on this show. Um, there it is. I, I'm even wearing my Wichita flag today. So and we're we're big we're big fans of Wichita here, uh, and a big shout out to AA Mohib that hopefully is listening. Yeah. Okay, so Alex, it is it's so neat. And you know, we, we had we had the good fortune of having a couple of pre-show conversations with you. What I yeah. really find intriguing about conversations like this is you don't put on any airs. You're the same same leader that Greg and I were speaking to kind of casually in our first conversation and in a pre-show and, and it spills over right here. You don't put on any airs. That's so important when you're having conversations like this and, and talking about the journey of your own. So thank you for that. Yeah. And we'll, we'll you. have to have you back. You know, we need to, you know, oh, every, every, every so it. often 
we do, Greg, uh, Supply Chain Nerds Talk Sports. And it's been kind of tough to do one of those fun, casual episodes lately with everything going on. However, right. you've got a passion for that. What they bring you on, we'll talk about uh, the Marlins and, and hopefully, let's uh, do it. Hopefully, them not doing too much harm to the Braves this year. We'll see. The Braves are doing a lot, plenty to themselves. Right. But uh, <laughs> they need no help. <laughs> they need ho- no help. But a pleasure to reconnect with you. And folks, you can check again just to make sure y'all heard that URL, cognitops.com. And we'll make sure we have. Uh, Alex's information in the show notes. So Alex, huge thanks for joining us today and spending some time with us. Alex Ramirez, co-founder and CEO with Cognit Ops. So Greg, let's talk about Alex like he's he's not still with us. What is one- I love this part. Yes. <laughs> oh so boy. Before oh we boy. sign off, what is one of your key takeaways from all the good stuff that Alex has shared here today? Gosh, it's hard, it's hard to pick one, but the term grit comes immediately to mind. Um you know, when you're when you're founding a company, when you're growing a company, when you even when you get to that certain stage, you have all of the things that Alex has talked about: imposter syndrome, that constant daily feel, fear of failure. Right? As um, as a guy that I worked with in a, I would argue, not a startup, already a twenty million dollar technology company when I joined them, he said, "I'm afraid of losing my job every day. That's what motivates yeah. me." And and grit is a lot of as we talked about, it's just figuring out how to get things done. Whether you feel like you're competent, you deserve to, you are the right person to or not, you just step up and you do it. And um, I got to tell you, that is a spirit that we can use worldwide, but certainly in the States, that it's okay to try, it's okay to fail, it's okay to feel inadequate, but still do something. Yeah. Right. And I think that is, that's so critical and clearly misplaced feeling of inadequacy, right? But not uncommon. This whole imposter syndrome <laughs> yes. is actually scientific. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. People who are eminently competent often feel much, much less competent than they are. Hmm. And people who are utterly incompetent feel like everything is simple and they know everything. <laughs> they go to DC. So, is that what you're saying, Greg? <laughs> they get, they go. <laughs> so, so I mean I th- I think that I think that you you feel like you don't know it all is a good signal that you are uh you have and are gaining competence because that feeling of not knowing it all that feeling of that fear of failure that grit that drive drives you to continue to be better to continue to learn and to continue to raise your level of performance that's absolutely critical so well said. And, you know, be a revolutionary. I, I love that theme. That was part of this conversation here today. We'd love to, I bet you've got plenty of stories of your parents coming here and immigrating from Nicaragua. What, what That's part of the American, the American story, right? To, for it is. his parents come here and then he found, you know, has a journey he described here and, and is creating so many opportunity for other companies and other people. I mean, I love that. It's the gift that keeps on giving. So, but we're going to call it a show here at this point. Big thanks again, Alex Ramirez yeah. with Cognops. Big thanks Thank to Greg you, White for joining me here today. Excellent conversation, Alex. Hey folks, hopefully you enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. I uh, hope you have a wonderful day wherever you are across the globe. On behalf of our entire team here at Supply Chain Now, Scott Luton signing off for just for now, though, Greg. We'll be back tomorrow. Hey, most importantly, do good, give forward, be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.